When you search for Chuck Liddell on YouTube and sort for the most popular uploads, this is the image that shows up. Upon seeing this the first time, it occurred to me that many of the new fans watching MMA today might be missing a bit of context when it comes to one of the most popular and legendary fighters of the sport. It's already been so long since Chuck Liddell was on top that many fans are currently living on fumes of the past, if you will, hearing about how great Chuck Liddell was, but seeing images like this crop up. The reality is Chuck was a once-in-a-lifetime star who was a world-class athlete that captivated a global audience when UFC was still struggling just to be legal, just to be on television, and presented as a legitimate sport. I'm Jason from MMA on Point, and this is called MMA Legends Chuck Liddell. Looking at Liddell's career, you're talking about a lifelong fighter. An 80s kid who initially took an interest in fighting from watching Kung Fu Theater and the original Karate Kid. He got into street fights all throughout growing up. At 12, he got involved with Koi Khan Karate and by the age of 16 was already a black belt. Chuck also played football and was strong enough as a wrestler to get on at Cal Poly, a Division I NCAA program where his ground game was first developed. On a side note, Chuck actually graduated from Cal Poly with an accounting degree with honors one of the best programs for that degree in the country. After this though, he knew what he wanted to do and got into an amateur kickboxing career where he became a kickboxing champion. He went 20-2 and two with 16 of his wins coming by KO or TKO. It was also around this time that Chuck became aware of the UFC and became a fan himself, watching all of the first events. Before long, this would lead him to meet who was one of the most important early UFC fighters and trainers ever, a guy by the name of John Lewis. Honestly, he didn't have the greatest record, but he was the first teacher to introduce Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to not only Chuck Liddell, but Dana White and the Fertitas. Whether you like those three or not isn't the point. The UFC would have certainly folded and likely the entire sport in North America as well if it wasn't for their involvement in reforming the sport. And John Lewis was their first connection to it all. Also, Tito Ortiz was training there as well. Dana began managing both of them before purchasing the UFC, and it led to one of the greatest rivalries in the sport's history. Going back to the beginning of his career, his first opponent was a bit more experienced, a guy by the name of Noe Hernandez, who had already fought five times. It took place in Dothan, Alabama, where the two would square off on May 15, 1998. For context, light heavyweight wasn't even a division yet. There were simply three weight classes, heavyweight meaning 200 and up, middleweight meaning 199 to 186, and then what was then called lightweight, which was 185 and under. So naturally, Chuck fought in middleweight, which would later be realigned to light heavyweight. But for the time being, it was called middleweight with Frank Shamrock holding the title. It was also a dark match that never made it to TV, and he was an alternate for the tournament that Dan Henderson went on to win, who was also debuting for the promotion back then. But the next fight for Chuck was one of the toughest he'd ever have. It took place for International Valley Tudo Championship 6 in Brazil, a card that also featured a very young Vanderlei Silva fighting Mike Van Arsdale. Liddell was up against another legend in Brazil that night that never reached the same level of fame here, but was a huge star there, Jose Landy Johns, or as he was better known, Pele, a guy who had already fought in 15 times. He'd also knock out two future welterweight champs and UFC Hall of Famers and Matt Hughes and Pat Militich. And this was a wild bare knuckle fight. It had a net that was meant to keep the fighters inside the ring, even though they still managed to fall out, head kicks, soccer kicks, and a grueling pace for over 30 minutes. But Chuck managed to win by decision as he controlled most of the fight and bloodied Pele on the ground. He was up next against one of the most underrated fighters of all time, Jeremy Horn. And by UFC 19, when they fought, tournaments were gone, but rounds were still kind of weird. Just 
just one 12 minute round with a three minute overtime if no one won by then. And Chuck did well giving him a back and forth fight, but Horn took advantage of his developing ground game and went for an arm triangle, a move Liddell didn't even know existed. So just as the bell sounded for the 12 minute round to be over, Big John separated the two for a break, and to everyone's shock, including Horn and Big John, Chuck was totally out from the choke. But this loss didn't slow him down at all. He fought four times over the next year and a half and won each fight, one he even won by head kick KO against Steve Heath and another against Jeff Monson. But it was at UFC 31 that the world would finally take notice of who he was. It was only the second card ever under the new ownership of the Fertitas and a former heavyweight champion who was coming down for a big fight against then champion Tito Ortiz and a number one contenders fight, Kevin Randleman. He'd actually just lost the title and was seen as the over overwhelming favorite against the relatively unknown Chuck Liddell. But very quickly into the fight, Liddell was able to land a left hand that stunned Randleman followed by a massive right and finished him on the ground with strikes. All of a sudden there was a new title contender and it would only build from here. But first Chuck signed a one fight contract with Pride to fight Guy Metzger in Japan for Pride 14 later that month and he scored one of the most memorable KOs of his career. Then he'd go on to fight Marilo Bustamane, Amar Sulawev, and Chuck had more than earned his title shot at this point with eight straight wins. But for a struggling UFC, a big money fight like Ken Shamrock versus Tito Ortiz needed to happen first. It was extremely rare to have a rivalry like this and it was just too good to pass up. But Chuck wasn't going to wait for anybody. Against the advice of his team and manager, he decided to stay active and continue fighting with his biggest win coming against Vitor Belfort on the first ever free fight TV card at UFC 37.5. Famously, Tito acknowledged his contendership in the ring after the fight and verbally agreed to fight him after Shamrock. But again, Chuck wasn't willing to wait. He still wanted to keep fighting and stay active, so he accepted a fight against the extremely dangerous submission specialist, Hanatu Babalusa Brawl, and even took the fight at UFC 40, the same night Tito was fighting Ken Shamrock for the first time a fight he won by head-kicking Babalu. But now this is where things went off the rails. After beating Shamrock, Tito insisted that the two were too good of friends as former training partners to fight for the kind of money they were getting paid at the time and demanded a new contract. Dana White and Liddell, though, both maintain over the years that it was because Liddell would regularly drop Tito in training and that he simply just didn't want to fight Chuck because he was afraid of being knocked out. So this led to a bitter back-and-forth battle between Dana White and Tito Ortiz that set the precedence for the UFC very first interim title. It's something that kind of gets tossed around a lot now, but in 10 years of competition, it was the first time the UFC actually needed one. So while Tito and Dana battled over contracts, Chuck Liddell took on another former heavyweight champion who was moving down to the UFC's light heavyweight division for the first time, Randy Couture. Being that it had been less than a year since he'd lost the heavyweight title, however, and already being near 40 years of age, Couture was the underdog against Liddell. Being the master tactician he was, though, Couture figured out a way not to only out wrestle Chuck, but also outstrike him on the feet, something Liddell didn't even expect him to try. By the end of it, Couture won by ground and pound in round three. Prior to this, Liddell was already signed up for the Pride 2003 middleweight tournament just two months later and set his eyes on a different opponent, Pride middleweight champion Vanderlei Silva. The tournament included Sakuraba, Rampage Jackson, Marula Bustamane, Tamura, Yoshida, Vanderlei himself, and Chuck's first tournament opponent, the then much smaller Alistair Overeem. 
It was a brutal fight, but Chuck's granite chin and toughness withstood all the heavy punishment he endured from Overeem, where he managed to actually knock out Alistair Cold in the first round with his trademark overhand right, and strikes that followed. So this set up a match in the second round of the tournament between Chuck and a very young Quentin Rampage Jackson. Rampage had other plans though, in fact Liddell was never really in the fight as a frustrated Dana White commented in the broadcast booth throughout their fight that Chuck had abandoned their heavy leg kick game plan. Chuck has an implemented game plan, he's not doing any leg kicks, not implementing the game plan at all. And as a result, Chuck was stopped in the second round with an endless barrage of body blows on the ground as his corner threw in the towel. The Vanderlei fight would have to wait, but of course Chuck had unfinished business in the UFC. While Liddell was fighting Pride, Randy Couture unified the interim light heavyweight title with Tito's and managed to dominate that fight as well. So with a couple of losses on Chuck's end and Tito now having lost the title, there were far less obstacles in the way of their fight as neither fighter was champion and therefore was no longer in a position to demand terms like what Tito had when he had a six fight title win streak. So finally at UFC 47 in 2004, Chuck Liddell finally fought Tito Ortiz in the biggest fight the sport had ever seen. By the end of the first round, Liddell was clearly in control and began landing heavy. And that momentum wasn't broken in between the rounds either. Just 38 seconds in round two, Liddell began firing off with everything he had and it was Simply too much for Tito to take as he slumped down along the cage. Shortly after, Liddell would earn another knockout against Vernon Tiger White in the first round, which set up his rematch against the current champion, Randy Couture. It couldn't have lined up for the UFC better. The UFC finally managed to break through the television market and land a TV deal with Spike for The Ultimate Fighter, where Chuck and Randy were the coaches of its first season. The show exploded the sport, and when the rematch took place just a week after the season finale, they sold nearly three times their previous pay view record. The UFC was finally making money and the winner of this fight would be the sport's biggest star. And sure enough, Liddell had a game plan that was much better for this fight this time around and stopped Couture just two minutes into the first round by shockingly knocking him out cold for the first time ever in Couture's career. And so finally Chuck was the champion. It was the beginning of a legendary run where Liddell would avenge his loss to Jeremy Horn by TKO, and again knocking out Couture to close out their trilogy at UFC 62. He'd again fight Bob Luce or Brawl after Bob Lou was coming off of one of the best win streaks in light heavyweight history, beating Mauricio Shogun Hua, Jeremy Horn, Pele, and Chael Sonnen. But even then, it took just a minute and a half to TKO Bob Lou once again. Meanwhile, Tito Ortiz managed to earn a five-fight win streak over Patrick Cote. Tay, Vitor Belfort, Forrest Griffin, and Ken Shamrock twice to end their trilogy. So this set up the mother of all rematches, a fight that would smash all MMA records before it, finally breaking the 1 million pay-per-view buy rate threshold. And the fight couldn't have been much better than it actually was, living up to the hype yet again before Chuck was able to TKO Ortiz again with one minute left in the third round. Chuck was on top of the world. He avenged two of his three losses and the sport had never seen anything like him. He was everywhere, TV commercials, music videos, TV and movie cameos, press tours. We can move on from that one. He was the face of the UFC. And so naturally everything looked great going into his rematch to the last man who had beaten him and had just been acquired from WFA after leaving pride, Quentin Rampage Jackson yet again. And Liddell was the betting favorite as Rampage had lost in brutal fashion to Vanderlei twice and Shogun brutally again in Pride just a couple of years prior. But as we find out, Rampage had matured as a fighter himself and seemed to have Liddell's number. It only took less than two minutes to knock out Liddell, not with body blows this time or a towel thrown in by the corner, 
but one of the most vicious right hooks ever seen in the sport. Chuck wasn't just knocked down, but for the first time in his career, he was out completely cold. And Chuck being the game fighter he always was, fought two more times again in that year. Once in an upset loss to Keith Jardine by decision, and finally getting to fight his longtime pride rival Vanderlei Silva. And no matter the recent losses, it was a fight for the ages. To this day, it's hard to top as one of the greatest fights in MMA history. The two came out brawling from bell to bell in all three rounds. After it was all said and done, Liddell managed to win a unanimous decision closing out their legendary bout. After this though, Chuck was never able to regain his footing, losing his next three fights by way of vicious knockouts. It could be presumed that following the Rampage fight, all of the years of damage from his full contact sparring, MMA, and kickboxing bouts finally caught up with him and his body just wasn't able to take the punishment anymore, something he could walk through in years prior. And to his credit, the last losses were all against future or past champions with Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua, and Rich Franklin. In each case, Chuck went out on his shield still going for the knockout, but it was the end of a legendary career that showed the cruelty of the sport and reminded everyone just how unforgiving it can be. Fighting is no movie. It's no fairy tale. No UFC champion has ever ridden off into the sunset. Perhaps there is one exception in the making so far with GSP, but he even himself lost viciously in the past. Chuck Liddell represents what we all love about the sport. Even if you're one of the few who dislike him, you can't take away his gamesmanship and toughness. He was never one to turn down a fight in the name of cash or lack of star power. He never begged for special conditions or special terms. He would take a fight on a moment's notice because he loved fighting. Liddell didn't care about the rest of it, and it's hard not to be a fan of a guy like that. To sum it up, here's an excerpt from Chuck Liddell's autobiography. I think it provides an insight into why he was so popular and why we liked him so much. Fighting is a substance versus style thing, and I knew that without any substance, you can never have any style. The guy never cared about trash talk and setting up the biggest fights or holding up divisions in the name of them. He just wanted to be the best and fight anyone who said otherwise. some of the most epic fights in the sports history, and it was the place where we got to see many legendary fighters compete. And on an unprecedented stage, to this day, the attendance record they set at Pride Shockwave 2002 when Noguera fought Bob Sapp in front of 91,000 fans has never been beaten. Not even close. The most the UFC has held is just over 56,000 when Holly Holm shocked the world against Ronda Rousey. During that time, the UFC was bleeding and struggling for recognition in the West. Pride, on the other hand, was like the Wild West. Stomps on the ground, soccer kicks to the head, and insane open weight fights that you'd never seen in American promotion today. And there's lots of crazy stuff that happened behind the scenes too. Without any regulation back then or formal commission, they pretty much lived like rock stars. I'm Jason from MMA On Point, and this is called 10 unbelievable facts about pride.